I'm at the Cape Cod Symposium on Addictive Disorders. This is the 32nd annual CCSAD hosted by C4 Events. This is where I get my hands on the experts and the professionals in the field of addiction and mental health disorders. So you can have more help, more support, more connection to the information that is going to bring your family back from the brink of destruction, from these destructive habits, these destructive patterns. I'm Aaron Huey. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Uh, parents, I'm talking with John Sovac, and um, we are, we're going to talk about uh, LGBTQ, queer, um, gender, gender neutral, uh, orientations. I want to talk about as much as we can in the short time we have, because um, the biggest thing as a, as a facility that works with kids in transition, kids who are um, considering coming forward to their parents, considering, you know, having honest conversations with our therapists and still not talking to the families. I want parents to walk away from our short time together with an understanding on how to remain connected even if the parent doesn't get it, even if they don't understand, even if they wish it weren't true. Um, how do you stay connected with your child who is trans, gay, bi, and you've got a moral, ethical, whatever issue about it? Um, so that, that's the thing. And, and John has, has guaranteed me that I can ask any question. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's just start. What, what is, how do you identify? What's your orientation? Did you come out? Like, like what's your, what's your life experience? So I identify as a cisgender queer man. Okay. And for me, it was actually a really easy coming out process. My family was incredibly supportive. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles, Hollywood Hills. Oh, well, it's a uh, Hollywood. Went to so Hollywood High School. Kind of, you were you were part of the norm there then. I <laughs> was very blessed. In fact, we have this joke amongst my friends because when I came out to them, they were like, great, now we can set you up with somebody. Um, <laughs> so when I, when I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts when mm -hmm. it was in Pasadena, California, right. and the joke there was we had a prom queen and a prom queen. Right. You know, because we're, we're from actors. So it's a, it's a yeah. world I grew up in and I, we started our facility in Boulder but middle America is still they don't get it well and that's the thing too though to understand so my process of coming out was very easy um, for so many of the kids that I work with and I work with kids all over the country um, there is this idea of still in this day and age being very shut down and being very scared to come out in fact for most of them they're living in a, in a highly anxious state they're very hyper vigilant um, and even if they have parents who have said, yes, I'm totally supportive of the LGBT community, it's still a huge risk for these kids to say these words out loud for the very first time. So the, the issues that I hear in my head that, that parents who are my listeners have, and, and one of, it's a heartfelt issue, it's a heartfelt question, it's a heartfelt concern, is that if, if their child tells the school they're going to be bullied. And bullying is not what it used to be. H however, I'm also speaking as a straight male. When I say bullying isn't what it used to be, it may have always been for, for the LGBT community much, much more brutal. Um, but is is literally still for the safety of your child if they come out. And so there's families who want to encourage the secrecy of it. And we know secrets 
keep people sick. Mm-hmm. You know, a family is only sick as their secrets. Why, how, how do we navigate that? How do we navigate a parent's fear when their child starts to move out and say, here's who I honestly am? Well, I think it's really important, and I talked to both with parents, I talked with my kids, is that safety is first. Um, we really have to understand this as an issue of coming out even in this day and age. But the thing that's really important, and you know, sometimes you hear people say, well, like, well, why did you choose to be this? Why did you choose to be yeah, gay? Yeah, why yeah, did you yeah. choose to be bisexual? Well, if we took this idea that people are being bullied, people are being put down, people are seen as less than by coming out, it kind of takes away that, well, why would you do that? So I think it's really important to understand that if there is something inside us that is so important to state, to live in, to own, to be part of, that we have to bring it to the forefront, then we also have to have supportive systems around us to be strong enough to know that there will be bullying. There will be moments that are going to be unkind and unfair to us. Um, if you think about the idea, high school is tough enough for teenagers. Ugh. But that idea, if you are a cis, straight identified person and you want to date someone, you just look across the room and you ask their friends and everybody kind of giggles and you can ask them out. But if you're identifying as gay or queer and you want to ask somebody out in high school, guess what you have to do? You have to lock it down. Or you have to check with your friends. Well, how do they feel about it? Have they ever done anything that might sound like they might be gay? You have to go through all these levels of stress to do that. And so all of these things play out in the development of an LGBTQ kid in their high school experience. And I think what's so important for parents to understand is these high levels of stress that their kids are going through every single day. Even your kid who's come out and seems like me to be totally fine and happy and okay and supportive, there's still these deeper levels of stress that are playing out all the time. I want to I wanna, uh, uh, talk about that in just a second, but you brought up a, a brilliant thing for a parent to consider before they say, why would you choose this? Because the question is, why would anybody choose that level of stress, bully, potential for bullying, potential for, for violence, because the numbers of violent crimes committed against the LGBTQ community are astounding when parents learn them. And then when they do, they're even more terrified. Why would you choose to have cancer? Why would you choose to be a drug addict? Why would you choose? So so before a parent says, why would you choose this? Ask yourself that question. Why would they? Yeah, I think Who that's- Who would? <laughs> yeah, that's a really beautiful way to look at it. And it's also this balance between when is the fear of being bullied or seen as different in the world grow less than the desire to live authentically from your deep inside? And the payoff. Yeah, yeah. Because there wow. is that thing that when we learn to live out loud and openly, that our world will change dramatically. And yes, as a 57-year-old man, there's still moments where I walk out in the world and someone yells faggot. And it still takes me back to being that like 13 year old kid who's trying to figure out my sexuality. At the same time, I've had these amazing opportunities to connect with parents, to connect with the community, to speak nationally on this topic and to see the change that can happen by living openly and speaking about this whole process that we all get to go through. When you talk about living openly, do you feel like uh, do you feel like the opportunity is there to truly live openly or do you feel how much does does someone shouting faggot actually close you versus living openly? You know, and and that's 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 what I was I was trying to trying to get to with the point that you were making a minute ago. How much freedom do you feel you have comparatively? Well, I think it's very specific. In my case, I mean, I live in Los Angeles, 
And if you live in Los Angeles, Miami, Chicago, New York, San Francisco, Seattle, you're going to have a very different experience. You're going to have a community around you that's going to be supportive. But if you're living in a smaller community out in a state that's a little bit more rural, you're going to have an incredibly different experience. And once again, it goes to that weighing, is my need for authenticity so important? For me personally, it is. I need to absolutely live 100% who I am because I have no shame about it. And that's the thing that's really, really tough for these kids in this transitional moment is they hear lots of messages of shame around them. And we're not just talking bullying. Bullying is very there and in your face. But there are these subtle, subtle pieces of shame. Such um, as? Let's say that their parents are changing channels and they go across and Will and Grace is there and they say, oh, we don't want to watch that. They don't even say anything overt about it. They just say, we don't want to watch huh. that. That can send these small micro messages that say, oh, it's not okay for me to talk about this in my household. There are things where I have families that I work with where they're like, they know, they know that we're very supportive of our kid coming out, and yet they seem to be afraid to talk to us. And as we uncover it, we learn that because of their spiritual belief systems, the church that they belong to may have been putting out anti-gay messages. And so the kids say, well, if they're going to this church, then they must somehow believe this. And remember, teenage brains take cognition in a very interesting way. Very true. It's very true. And so all of those pieces of the puzzle come together. So we need to be aware as parents, well, what are the subtle messages we're putting out? Not just the overt ones, but what are these underlying messages that may be sitting around the fabric of the household? Okay. Is it is it fair to... Um, to when when you're talking to a family who's going through uh, a, a scenario of the child coming out, is it fair to say to the child, um, while you've been feeling your truth for now uh, uh, ten of your fourteen years, your parents are still experiencing you based on this thing that they've labeled you, that they've put over you, that they have considered you since you were born. And right or wrong, you're asking them to change 16 years of their mind in a moment of your revealing to them how you truly feel on the inside. Um, because that seems to be where a big disconnect comes from. And I have worked with families who've, who've kids have come forward and they're very angry at the parents when the parents still call them my daughter when now they're saying, refer to me as your son. Yes, but for 15 years, you've been my daughter. Well, I haven't felt like your daughter for 15. And like, how do you navigate right. that piece? So one of the things that I point out to both the kids and to the parents is they're all potentially going through a grieving process. Like you just described, you have kids who have been going through this internal self-discovery and then they come out. And for a lot of parents, that's a moment like, wait, what? And the way I like to describe it, especially to parents, is anytime anybody has a kid, um, let's go back to an old-fashioned scenario. The baby's born, the doctor holds it up, hands it to the parent for the very first time. They look in that kid's eyes, and they project forward an entire lifetime for their child. <laughs> they sure do. Okay. You know, they're going to be the valedictorian at school. They're going to go to college. They're going to get married. They're going to have children. They're going, to move, yeah. they're going to move two houses down from them and have a white picket fence and a golden retriever. <laughs> they project that entire story forward. So when a kid comes out, it shatters that version of the story. And so what I talk about is the idea, we need to grieve that dream that these parents are letting go of to make space for this new version of their child who show up, who still may have all of these amazing experience, 
they may come out as transgender and they may still end up having a family. They may end up living near you. They, they might may... love working on cars and build uh -huh. build motorcycles from scratch. How what are, what is it that the that the child is grieving? Because you said they're both going through a grieving process. So if the child is stepping out, what is the child grieving? So the child is also grieving the the shift in how a community perceives them. Oh, okay. Because remember, as I've been holding on to a secret, there's a certain way everyone in my world has perceived me. And now when I become more open and talk about it, there are going to be people who are not going to be able to meet me there. There are people who are going to look at me differently. I'm going to relate differently, even to the people who support me. So there is this grieving of letting go of a facade, a version of myself that I showed to the world for quite a while. And even though sometimes it's very relieving, it was also a safety net and an armor that helped these kids survive on a day-to-day -day basis. So grieving the loss of those pieces of themselves. Has the therapeutic process for uh, children and adults in the LGBTQ community, has it caught up? Therapy tends to be a pretty liberal forward process. And, and there, there's a piece of, of intervention that I wanna refer to in a minute, but the, the, the process of um, supporting the depression and the anxiety, addiction, uh, self-harm that comes in the LGBT community, has therapy caught up? Or, or is, are the therapists still lacking? Are they still promoting old intentions, which is you're suffering from something much bigger than you're cutting and you need to be straight to get over that? Or are we, is therapy more advanced? I think it's a really mixed bag on that. If you are looking at people who are openly LGBTQ identified therapists who are working with the community, we are on the cutting edge. We are choosing to learn. We are choosing to move ourselves forward. There are amazing allies who are also joining that fight and getting training and being present and reading what's current about working with our community. And then we also have still a very large majority of therapists who have not been trained, um, who aren't looking to be trained, and are doing, some of them are doing the best they can trying to be supportive. Some of them, because of their own personal agendas, are still kind of pushing against the the, I don't want to say acceptance, what's a better word, the um, reality of their clients' identities being LGBTQ. So there's still a very mixed bag out there. Um, and I think that shows up in any type of therapeutic community, depending on your training, depending on your personal biases, agendas, it does show up in the therapy world. So I still think we have a lot of work to do, and that's why I travel over the country right. and train people, because I think it's so important that if we can get the information out there so that one kid, one family does not have to suffer, then my job is done and I can sleep well at night. So now let's start to talk about some of the training that you do with facilities and, and, and uh, uh, programs. Uh, my program works with LGBTQ children and uh, we're still, because the state of Colorado is still in this unbelievable flux. And I have this ridiculous story to tell you about uh, how the monitors came in and they said, well, how are you having kids sleeping who are identifying? And we say, as your policy says on the biological floor. And they're like, well, can you give them their own room? And I'm not a 190 bed facility, I'm an 18 bed facility. So no, not always. And then I would turn around and ask the question, I say, now you have very clear laws that nothing I can do um, is to scarlet letter any child. Now you're telling me that I have to provide a separate bathroom and bedroom for this child because they're identifying differently. How is that not scarlet lettering? How is that not setting them up 
for, and how is that not setting other families up for saying, well, I want my child to have their own this and this. And, you know, and, and the state of Colorado really is like, we don't know how to navigate this yet. And, and as you and I were talking off air, the state of California is much more progressive with, with, with how they do it. So what would you do for a facility like mine? What would you, what would you, what would you do with us when we're, when we're in this state of flux and the state doesn't know what to do? We're doing what the state's laws are so that we don't get dinged and shut down. Well, for me, I know the purpose of training, as I mentioned a moment ago, is to make sure that we can get change happening. So if I come into a facility, what we're doing is starting almost at the grassroots level. We're sitting with the community that's in that particular facility, that business, that organization, and we're saying, what are your feelings? What's going on? Here's the education. Here's both the research facts, and here's the feeling piece of it. So that people can walk through their biases. Um, I think it's so important, especially right now in transgender care, we are just hitting the stride of longitudinal, long-term studies that are starting to help us understand on the deeper level the journey that all of our transgender brothers and sisters are going through. And it's so important for us to be able to start bringing that information out into the world. And then from there, I think it's so vital that we also look at how the people who are at the forefront of these treatment centers, how are they feeling about it? Um, I once had a training, and it's one of the things that I ask, it's like, is there anyone here who would feel uncomfortable supporting what we're talking about today? And I had this woman very, like, very shakily <laughs> raise her hand. And the whole room turned on her and gasped. And I said, no, I want to pause here because that's the bravest thing that she could have done right now. Because if she knows that she can't support these LGBTQ kids, then what we need to help her with is understand how would I refer out? Because kids will know if you're trying to fake it with them. They will wow. see it in your eyes. They will feel it in your energy. They've lived their whole lives around, like you see, you talked about that, that hypervigilance. Like if you're going to survive an environment that has done nothing but promote an idea that does not support your life, you are going to become so hypervigilant to look for any danger. Right. And so you saying that one therapist who just can't wrap their brain around it and has some moral issue buried back there that that honesty is actually relieving to you. It's really important because then we can address and say, then you need to learn how to refer out. Because the best thing we can do is take you wow. with this information today, you can process it on your own, but while you're still working with the kids, what are the community resources that you know of? Who could you say, thank you for sharing this with me in my office, and here's a great place in our community that you can go and get the support you need. I, to I, me, that's vital. It's huge. And as an owner, I would say, thank you for being so honest. Here's a whole bunch of other facilities you can go work at because mm -hmm. you're not working here anymore. Because this is what we've decided as part of our mission is we will serve this community as well. Okay, so now, now, now let's talk about... This is a question I asked uh, that, I wanted, that I wanted to address off air. When I have a, a kid who is... Uh, coming in, parents are like they're they're identifying as as male, you know, biological female identifying as male. They've asked for surgeries and medication. We're saying no, not till you're 18. Which I'm, I'm very curious about your stance on that. Is people under 18 getting? Uh, um, I don't want to call it corrective. Is that affirming the, affirming surgeries or medications that that continue to affirm? First of all, is that appropriate under 18? What's your stance on that personally? It absolutely is. Um, what we know now um, from a very biological scientific standpoint is that kids who identify as transgender often have known this for most of their lifetime. If you think about going through puberty for yourself, puberty is a really intense time for any of us. 
And the way it works now is we have medications called um, puberty blockers, which can be taken before puberty starts. So these kids can still work through the psychological feelings of what they're trying to affirm in themselves. And we can work with families to get the best care possible. And then when they're ready to transition, we're talking specifically you know, about transgender kids here, is when they're ready to transition, then we can start doing hormone-affirming therapy, which is the first you know, biological step that we would take. Because they haven't gone through puberty yet, it means they can go through this in a much more natural way, and their bodies respond so much more effectively to this type of medication. So yes, I believe it's very powerful to start this as soon as possible. Because otherwise what we're doing is we're looking at someone who has gone through puberty. Their secondary and primary sexual characteristics have developed in their bodies, and now they're having to go on to affirming uh, hormone... uh, Sorry, my brain just shut down. It's early morning here. (laughs) Uh, Going on the affirming um, process. And then what's happening is their bodies have to struggle through this second puberty. And so we're not going to get as clean a result and as effective a result that these kids are looking for as how they want to be seen in the world. So yes, for me, I think the idea is that medication can be a really powerful assistant early on. Um, can, I, can I push back on that for a second, just from my own limited understanding, is that to diagnose a child, uh, now I've just likened lifestyle and um, being to a diagnosis, and I recognize that. So. not putting my whole foot in my mouth. I want to say that if a child at a very early age is exhibiting uh, tendencies of bipolar or borderline personality disorder, we are still not allowing or wanting them to be considered that until they are over 18. How is this different? Well, I think if you look at the whole word you just used, saying that transgender is a diagnosis, um, it's... The most fascinating phone call I get on a regular basis (laughs) is, so can you give my kid an assessment to know if they're really transgender? (laughs) (laughs) And there's no such thing. There isn't. There is no test that you can have your kid take that says they are or are not transgender. What it is is that... Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. But it's beautiful to know that kids these days, and I actually find it really empowering, are not just following along a path of you're a binary, you are a male, you are a female, you're this or that, but they are sitting there and saying, I'm curious as to what that means. I think it's a deeper exploration that in older generations we never even considered, but the kids are sitting down and really looking at it on a deep level for themselves, I think is really powerful. Um, You talked about the idea of diagnosis. Yeah. So most of us who are working in the community work from a model called informed consent. What informed consent model says is you, as the person coming to work with me, my client, you're the one who is in charge of this moment. And what my job is to help you get the best information possible to make the most powerful decisions for yourself. So that the client is the driver of the car. They are sitting there and saying, this is the best direction for me. Now, there are other places that are still working on a medical model which says that you have to work with a therapist for a certain amount of time and then have a letter from them saying that this is your diagnosis and then a doctor has to do an exam and say this is in agreement with this and then going through. And so a lot of times if you're working with insurance, that will also play out having to play that direction. But for me, the best model is this informed consent model because the more information we have, the more powerful a decision we can make for ourselves 
and that we can support our kids in making the best decisions for their well-being going forward. You know, what's amazing is that if they put a kid who has suddenly been diagnosed with uh, a bipolar, a borderline personality disorder, something like that, through the same process, that they would put someone who wants to go through a trans Give me, give me the word. Uh, uh, they, they, they want to go through their transition. Go, go through their transition. Their gender, yeah. Right. We'd probably have a lot less kids on medication. Mm-hmm. Probably a lot less kids diagnosed with an illness or a disease, which well, this isn't. And stepping into that moment too about medication is a lot of kids because of I've mentioned this word hypervigilance a few yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. So if we look at this idea that my sexual orientation, my gender identity is something that I'm exploring inside myself and it's not safe to show it in my world, I become hypervigilant, which means I've got huge amounts of adrenaline and cortisol going through my body. I am in a constantly stressed out and anxious biological state. So what are some of the best ways to manage that? Um, going into drugs, alcohol, eating, video Cutting, games, um, social also media dropping into depression and anxiety yes. because I can't show this. So if we look at all of these other pieces of the puzzle that come into play, what if sometimes an opening question is, so are there curiosities about your gender or sexual orientation that are part of this, this thing that's showing up? So it's almost like the, the drug abuse is the secondary piece of the puzzle. And the primary is I'm questioning my sexual orientation. And can we move those questions into part of this exploration as to what's going on at any moment? You know, here at an addiction conference that you and I are attending, speaking at, working at, everybody here, and you you can feel it, you can tell it, that there's a change in the wind of this industry that addiction is not ever, nor was it ever, primary. And, and that, is a, that, that is going to revolutionize the industry. It's going to revolutionize recovery as soon as some of the older diehards die off and go away. Well, so I'm just going to say this. Yeah, please do. I've worked with some of those older diehards, and they are beautifully shifting as well, too. It's true. I think there's room for everybody to take this shift. And once again, not just about LGBTQ issues, but looking at what are the underlying that, that the addiction is the secondary and the underlying is the primary. And when we can step into those primaries and we can talk about loss at a young age, we can talk about, you know, that I wasn't performing well at school. We can talk about peer pressure. We can talk about, you know, dysfunctional family units as being the thing that changed me. Then we can say, wow, you responding by using that was probably the best way you were able to take care of yourself. At that you're, a lo- you're, you're, you're 100% right. And that's a hard thing for parents to hear because the using is where it gets labeled the bad choice when really it makes perfect sense when you look at the psychology. I had a question that I wanted to ask you at the beginning, but I'm going to toss that question aside because something else came up for me while we were talking. And now that we're wrapping down towards the end of our, our short time, number one, I want a longer show with you. I, this you're you're very very good. I think you should have your own podcast. This is <laughs> Thank you're you. you're phenomenal. You you give great voice. Um, I want to ask about the founder of conversion therapy coming out, and if you can't or won't speak for your entire community, how do you feel personally about it? Is it rage? Is it relief? Like like and and how many. Um, how many in the community have been like, well, duh. <laughs> like, what do you think? I think the way that I would address this, I can't speak for this person's own experience. But what I can say is that conversion therapy is one of the most damaging things we have out there for the LGBT community. Um, For those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's really this idea that 
uh, people are saying that there is this is still a mental condition if I'm LGBTQ and that we're going to either work individually or take you to a center to try and work that out of you. And it's not, it's scientifically proven to be a false concept. We know for a fact that my identity as a queer man is part of who I am. It's biological, it's nurture, it's nature. It's all of the pieces of who I am. It's my full, fully realized, fully faceted person walking through the world. And so I think what we need to do is be hyper aware of how conversion therapy is still out there in the community, how we as therapists in the community need to push back against that and to create supportive environments, whether it's us being able to do it in person or being able to refer out to resources so that these kids, especially as they're coming out, know there is a safe place to talk and to be who they are. So I want to I want to press the question though. Do you feel rage or do you feel relief that this is going to end now? Um interesting question. Do I feel rage that conversion therapy is still going on? Absolutely. This is just one person in a huge network of conversion therapy. But if the founder is like, you know what? Like it didn't even work for me. Are you are you pissed at how many lives? were damaged by his concept or are you relieved that he has finally stepped into his truth and provides a, an example? I think it's a really great opportunity for everyone in the conversion community to sit back and look at what they've been supporting all these years. Um, to understand the number of lives that they've destroyed on such a deep core level and made people feel like they are less than for simply being who they are. Absolutely. I think it's a great chance for that community to sit back and look at themselves and say, wow, we have done a lot of damage. And what do we believe in and what are we creating going forward? If it wasn't for the utter consistent pure example of acceptance that the LGBTQ community consistently demonstrates. And I know there's outliers in any community on anything, but that's not the point. The point is, is that I have never seen a community so willing to accept people for who they are as they are, um, as your community. I can't imagine you guys accepting him. Like, like I, I just on the outside of the experience entirely, when I saw that I was flooded with rage. It's like, how, how dare you? How dare you now think that you can walk into the most accepting, loving community there is and say, I was wrong. When you are, like, I was, <laughs> I was whole, uh, wall hole punching level. <laughs> it just drove me nuts. So I, once again, I, your answer just, just astounds me. Well, I know for myself personally, it is about understanding what rage means to us, ourselves. And for me individually, it's about looking inside, wondering where I feel out of alignment in any single moment, and then stepping back into that alignment. Because my work is more powerful if I can step into any community and any situation and create an affirming environment to be a beautiful, loving, open beacon of the work that I do so that someone who is living in fear and confusion can walk up to me and be able to say that out loud, like the woman I mentioned earlier who right. raised her hand. To me, her feeling safe enough and talking to me to be able to raise her hand is where change happens. And that's how I work. I want to I wanna use the, the you know, last moment for comment before we make sure families can get in touch with you to say that uh, during during a podcast with with queer asterisks, um, it's been these podcasts with the LGBT community community that has really 
changed my my behaviors because I had the old go-to, which was, I don't care if you're gay, straight, bi, it doesn't matter to me. And someone from a, a queer asterisk said, don't say that anymore. Say that you do care. Say that it does matter because that that is that means that you actually are considering what our lives have been like. And that makes you an ally in the community. Yeah. Yep. And that was huge. Yeah. And so I just want to put that out there that stop saying you don't care. Just care in the right way <laughs> and say that. So, John, look, A, I, I want to book a bigger show with you because I think we have a lot more to talk about. But, but B, most importantly right now, how are these families going to get in touch with you? So the best way to get in touch with me is, of course, online. Um, they can look at my website, which is uh, johnsovec.com. J-O-H-N-S-O-V-E-C.com. And even easier than that, they can find me at gayteentherapy.com as well. And what I can help with if they want to reach out, um, if I can't work with their kid directly, is to help them connect into their community, into resources that might be available for them. Um, all over this country, there are great, amazing, little hidden pockets of resources and I'm more than happy to help connect people into those. Uh, my last statement to parents out there listening, and I have heard this, which is why I'm saying it, and I've heard it more often than I should, is parents who are saying, I don't know if I want to get my teen a gay therapist because it might reaffirm this, this question that they have. That's the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. This teen has been pondering this concept for so many years, this therapist is going to do nothing but support. Is that is that fair to say? Well, here's the way, because I get this question from parents all <laughs> the time. Are you going to turn my kid gay? Oh, my God. Because I'm very open about who I am, so they know that I'm a queer therapist. And I said, it is not my job to turn your child gay or straight. It is my job to sit with your child and learn how they want to be and who they want to be in the world. And that's what I get the honor of doing. So no, it is not my job to turn your kid gay or straight. I hope I hope us tittering in the mics while saying that is is making some parents red in the face because that's that's antiquated thinking. So John, thank you so much. This has been great. Let's Absolutely. set up a longer show. Absolutely. Thanks for being on Beyond Risk and Back. This has been another episode of Beyond Risk and Back, coming to you from the 32nd Annual CCSAD. That's the Cape Cod Symposium on Addictive Disorders. Thank you to C4 Events for having me here. I also want to thank Dylan at Deepin Productions. Dylan does my sound engineering. He also does the music for Beyond Risk and Back. So if you need to get in touch with Dylan, go to deepinproductions at gmail.com. That's D-E-E-P-E-N productions at gmail.com. If you've seen anything about Beyond Risk and Back on social media, you can thank Your Cause Consulting. To get in touch with Your Cause Consulting to handle your marketing needs, go to info at yourcauseconsulting.com and send them an email. Thanks so much for listening, parents. Remember, take care of yourself first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our children. This has been Aaron Huey, and I will talk to you soon.